Welcome to the 242nd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I am your host for today, Patrick Winograd. In this somewhat brief edition, considering how much content there is, um, our topics are an overview of my weekend predictions, our preview of Super Wildcard Weekend, a review of the college football playoff, our weekly look at the NBA, and our weekly look at college basketball. So sorry we couldn't record last week. Lost my voice, did not get it back. You can probably still hear it a little bit, but good enough that I can do it this week. Um, and I'll be skipping over most of the stuff from last week, although I will be talking about the playoff semifinals. Um, and also skipping over the NFL action from this week and only talking about uh, previewing the games going forward. That was just a choice that I made to make this a little bit shorter. But without further ado, let's jump right in with a look back at my weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4than24.com. We'll start in the NFL. I went 4-0 there. Uh, in the NBA, I went 2-2 in those predictions. In college basketball, I went 4-0. And then in NCAA football, in the national championship game predictions, I went 1-0. And uh, when you add that up with all the bowl games that happened over the last week and a half, um, I went 26-10 last week and then 11-2 this week. So pretty good results overall. Um, and that brings me to a 963-619 and 619 overall record a 60.9% winning percentage. Um, obviously, very, very happy with the record this week. Also pretty happy with the record last week. So overall, doing pretty well, but I'll start this week, go back to the NFL where it was clinching weekend. These will be the four games I talk about that are this weekend. Uh, the Steelers beat the Ravens 17-10. to That eventually, paired with some other results, got the Steelers into the playoffs. The other results I'm talking about are mainly, uh, well, I'll go into it now, but the Steelers were playing against Tyler Huntley. Um, pretty easy one for them, um, but they were able to still go on the road and beat the Ravens, who obviously are the number one seed in the AFC, so still a strong feat regardless for Pittsburgh. Uh, and then the Texans beat the Colts 23-19. to That was a win-in-your-in game for the playoffs, um, but the thing that was important about that game is that the winner also could win the division if Jacksonville lost on Sunday to the Titans, which they did. So the Texans actually claimed... The division title, after it looked very unlikely, and now we'll be playing a playoff home game um, against the Browns at NRG Stadium, which just hosted the national championship game, of course. Um, and then the Saints beat the Falcons 48-17. Uh, this game had potential importance for the playoffs. If the Buccaneers had lost to the Panthers, uh, that one a little bit less likely than the Jaguars losing to the Titans, just because, you know, the Panthers are not very good. Um, but the Saints did get this victory, um, a, a big victory to close out the year. It ended up being Arthur Smith's last game as the coach of the Falcons, but didn't end up meaning anything for the playoffs because of a bunch of other tiebreakers and teams who won. So the Saints didn't make it. The Packers made it um, in for that final spot in the NFC that wasn't clinched heading into the week. Um, and then obviously the Buccaneers won, so they made it in that division, which I'll talk about later. And then the Bills beat the Dolphins 21-14. That means that the Bills take the division from the Dolphins. Um, there was a chance that I think if the Dolphins had won this game, or no, it was determined that if the Dolphins had won this game because it was Sunday Night Football, um, this game would have a rematch again next week, same location, same teams uh, in the 2-7 wildcard game. But instead, it will be the Bills who are hosting a playoff game, but they're not hosting the Dolphins. They're hosting the Steelers, and the Dolphins are going instead to go play the Kansas City Chiefs on the road. Um, but I will preview all those games in a second. For now, I will stay on with my predictions, talk about the NBA. The Knicks beat the 76ers, 128-92. That was a loss. 
For me, the Clippers beat the Pelicans 111-95. That was a win. The Magic beat the Nuggets 122-120. to uh, That was a loss for me. Probably the most surprising one. I was pretty confident about that pick. Um, and then the Mavericks beat the Timberwolves 115-108. to So overall, decent in the NBA. Uh, not going to go too much into any of those individual games because I was kind of wrapped up watching NFL action, and that was on Friday night, I believe, most of those games. Maybe one of them was on Sunday or Saturday. Um, and then in college basketball, I went 4-0. Very happy with that. Um, as we know, that's my sport of choice that I think I like, or the, the sport that I think I know the best. Um, and I think the record does reflect that. Um, but always, always open to four no weeks. Don't like three and one, even though that's still above my overall prediction record. And three and one is a ridiculous percent to try to keep up, but I think I can do it. So I want to do it. Um, but I'll, anyway, going back to Friday, number one, Purdue beat number nine, Illinois, 83 to 78. Um, that was probably the biggest matchup of the weekend in terms of two top 10 teams. That was the only top 10 matchup of the weekend. Um, number five, Tennessee beat number 22, Ole Miss, 90 to 64. That was Ole Miss's first loss of the year, so hard to judge where that team might have been. I think Vegas had that game as a blowout anyway. Um, I didn't realize it was going to be like that when I put it on my predictions and realized later that there were probably other closer games that I probably should have known were going to be closer, but because it was a ranked matchup, I ended up predicting it. I'm glad I got it right. And then number eight, North Carolina went on the road and beat number 16, Clemson, 65-55. That was Clemson's second loss of the week. They had already lost to Miami earlier in the week, so not a great result for them. Um, But they are still a strong team. They'll rebound from that. I I thought they competed pretty well in this game, and same thing in the Miami game as well. Um, Then Utah State beat number 13, Colorado State, 77-72. This game propelled them into the rankings um, as they had previously only had one loss, but didn't really have a big win on their resume, and now they do. So Colorado State, San Diego State, and Utah State all ranked out of the Mountain West, which is deserved because that conference every year, really, for a while has been pretty good, and no one has been giving them any credit, but now they're getting their credit um, for how well they have played over the last few years, and maybe it will stay throughout the season. They have a lot of teams with only one or two loss heading into conference play. Uh, We'll see how long that holds up. Obviously, they're going to have to play each other, and this is one of those games. But Utah State, for now, taking their one-loss team forward and moving forward with the top 20 ranking as well. Um, And then, finally, in college football, I predicted... Actually, I predicted every playoff game, right? So I'll take a brag for that one. Um, And as the games got, you know, with bigger teams, I I did a lot better. Um, But 1-0 this week, I predicted Michigan would win 34-31. They won 34-13. Um, so a good weekend predictions overall. And with that, we will move on now to my preview of Super Wild Card Weekend. I will start with the Saturday games where the Browns take on the Texans first. Um, I'm going to give quick predictions for all these games, but, uh, you know, give me the Texans in this one. Um, the Browns are favored, and I know that, and they beat the Texans 36-22 to on the road in Week 16. But for me, that game, you know, it has a massive asterisk on it because C.J. Stroud didn't play in that game. Um, And I think that, you know, the Texans will figure things out defensively, play a lot better coverage on Amari Cooper, uh, won't let Joe Flacco and him connect for whatever it was, 165 yards or whatever it was in that game. Um, And I think that Stroud's return will give them the boost that they need on offense to win this game as well. And I also think that, you know, Football's a complimentary game, right? I mean, if if you have a better offense, you're going to play better on defense as well just because the other team's going to have limited possessions, and I think that the Texans will use that to their advantage, and I have them winning this game um, despite that, I guess, technically being an against-the-grain type of pick. I don't think it's as crazy as, um, 
maybe I'm making it out to be because, you know, it's a, it's a close line, of course. But I am picking the Texans, and I'm sticking with that underdog pick. In the second game of the day on Saturday, we have the Dolphins against the Chiefs at Arrowhead. Um, I believe that the Chiefs have just been, you know, too good at Arrowhead in the playoffs in the past for me to pick against them. Uh, I think these two teams are kind of even on paper, and in terms of, you know, preseason expectations, not necessarily play style, but how they're generally viewed as stronger offensive teams, although maybe their defenses have been kind of lacking the credit that they deserve. Um, But at the same time, I do think I like the Chiefs um, in this game. It's going to be played in single-digit weather, um, and even with the strength of the Dolphins' run game, I think the Chiefs' defense is strong enough to shut that down. Um, and I just like this matchup overall for them, even though neither of this team, neither of the teams are coming into this game with a lot of confidence or a lot of momentum. Um, the Chiefs coming off, you know, winning a division that ended up a lot weaker than it was supposed to be heading into the year, kind of just backdooring. I, I don't want to say backdooring into the division because they were the favorites and, you know, they walked away with it pretty easily, but it, it doesn't really feel like they are as strong as they normally are heading into the playoffs, and I think that's pretty obvious to tell. Um, and then when, you, when it comes to the Dolphins, they had a chance to win the division, and they didn't. And I think that they could have won a few games, and that would have clinched it, but they kind of struggled in some of their bigger games. They got the big win over the Cowboys, but that was really the only big signature win of the year, and they even had the matchup with the Bills last weekend to clinch that division and clinch another rematch with the Bills in Miami again, and they couldn't get it done. Um, so... I'm not too confident in how the Dolphins have played. I like the Chiefs having more experience, and I like what their defense has shown me this year that I am just a little bit confident enough to pick them given the home field advantage. I probably would have picked the Dolphins if they were at home in this game, though, um, all things being honest. So, yeah, I'll pick the Chiefs, but this game is definitely a really close one. Went back and forth on it. Um, But Sunday, this game is not not, uh, one I went back and forth on. The Steelers versus the Bills open up the day. And no offense to the Steelers, but there is a reason they are the only double-digit underdog of the first weekend. Um, they have no chance against Buffalo, who has won five games in a row after a 6-6 six and six start to the season. I know the Steelers always do, you know, some weird stuff, and they keep games close, and then somehow, despite having less yards than their opponent, they end up with the win. But I think in the playoffs, that just it, it's just not going to work. I, I can't be... I can't give them any, any credit. I don't want to give them... A huge chance because I just don't think that they have much of a chance. Um, so I'm going to go with the Bills in this one. Um, they have all the momentum. They're at home. They're playing a much inferior team. I think it's a pretty slam dunk pick there. Uh, the next game is a little bit more interesting, but still not very close. It's the only other game that's over a touchdown um, in terms of the line skewing towards the favorite. The Cowboys against the Packers. Uh, the Cowboys are always in danger of a sudden unexpected playoff upset. Um, but I don't think this year's exit is going to come this early. Uh, They've been great at home all season long, and I think the Packers are, you know, still a very young and experienced team, especially on the offensive end. Um, And I'll take Dallas with a decently comfortable win, but I got to say I'm very, very impressed uh, with the Packers season. You know, up until the final week, people were doubting that this team could really get anything done. Obviously, they only ended up as a seventh seed and, you know, a fairly weak NFC uh, but they ended up with a winning record. It was it was looking like an NFC playoff team could have a losing record and still make it in at some point. Uh, maybe the the winner of the NFC South, especially. But in the end, all the teams ended up with winning records. I guess that's something to celebrate. Maybe not really. Um, but the Packers were one of those teams, and I think that a lot of people expected 
Jordan Love to kind of have a rough season and not be able to adjust well enough to bring them here, and that's why the Lions were a popular pick in the division. That's why the Bears were some people's upset pick. Um, Even this weekend, a lot of people thought that the Bears were just going to play spoiler to the Packers despite being eliminated from the playoff contention and come away with the win, but the Packers' defense stepped up. Their offense did just enough, and here they are playing the Cowboys, so I want to give them some credit for that, Um, although I don't think they'll be moving on beyond this. Maybe that's why I'm doing an early post-mortem on them because I think they're, you know, approaching the end of the season. Um, But then you have by far the most interesting game of the weekend, at least in my opinion, Um, the Rams versus the Lions. It's Stafford versus Goff at Ford Field. It's going to be an amazing thing to watch given the journeys of both the franchises. You know, the reason these two teams are on their journeys are because of a trade that the two made. Stafford had kind of been stuck in purgatory with the Lions. He brought them to the playoffs, but hadn't really gotten many wins, had never been to the Super Bowl. The Lions have been like that as a franchise for a while. Meanwhile, the Rams had Goff, and Goff had brought them to the Super Bowl, but the Rams were getting the feeling that he might not be the quarterback to take them over the hump and win that Super Bowl. They made the move to make a huge upgrade, get, well, not that, okay, I, I overstated that. They made the upgrade. It wasn't actually as big of an upgrade as we all thought because, you know, a lot of people thought that Goff was just kind of shining because of Sean McVay, and it turns out that Goff can thrive in other systems too, and he's been able to do that with the Lions. Um, And as a result, that's turned around the Lions franchise. Everybody thought that that was kind of a, you know, get the picks and see what happens with those first-round picks. Maybe take a quarterback with one of those picks and use Goff as kind of a holdover until they draft a real quarterback. But in the end, Goff is the guy that they're going with into the playoffs. He led them to the division championship, and he deserves a lot of credit for what he's done. On the other end of things, Stafford won the Rams a World World Series. Stafford won won the Rams a world championship, obviously a Super Bowl, not a World Series. That's the wrong sport. Sorry, it's January, but I'm still thinking about baseball. Um, And that's really all the Rams wanted from him. And then this season has been another revelation. You know, the Rams started three and six, and it looked like they had fallen off a cliff from the Super Bowl, considering how bad last season was as well. But they climbed back. They rattled off seven wins in eight games, and they made the playoffs. Um, Detroit obviously shouldn't have missed the playoffs last year. They had a bunch of things go against them that probably shouldn't have. But they continued their upward trajectory this year and won the division pretty comfortably. And this game is a really, really a true toss-up. That's why I've said so much about um, the background of the game without saying anything about the game. I'm going to give the Lions the edge. I would say that if the Rams were at home, I'd pick the Rams. If this was some neutral site, I'd actually maybe flip a coin. Um, But I also don't want to jinx the Rams. Everybody knows I'm a Rams fan. So um, I'll give the Lions the edge, and I'll talk more about one of my other favorite teams in a minute and a half, and I'm really, really excited to talk about that one, as we all know. Um, but I will give the Lions the edge, um, and maybe they can complete um, the Michigan the Michigan uh, basketball team sacrificing for the football team cycle, since Michigan basketball is now terrible, and football has won the national championship. Oops, spoilers. And the, and the Pistons are terrible, but the Lions are great. Who knows? Maybe, maybe one needs to be bad for the other to be good. We will see. Um, but Look, that, that Sunday Sunday is going to be a great ga- day of games, um, and that's a great way to end it, even though you know the other two might not be so strong on paper. It's the playoffs, and you never know what will happen. Um, and then Monday, you have the Eagles and the Buccaneers. Um, these two teams are really hard to evaluate against each other, honestly. When Hurts brought the Eagles to the playoffs two years ago, they fell just a little bit short against a Brady-led Bucks team, but playing Baker Mayfield is, you know, a little bit different than playing Tom Brady. Um, and this Eagles team has leveled up since then also. Um, so, well, that's what we thought. But now 
the Eagles have figuratively and literally limped into the playoffs after they started the season 10-1 and following their Super Bowl loss to the Chiefs that they also could have won, frankly. But their defense has been just awful recently. Um, but I'm going to still pick the Eagles. I, I just really don't see a reason for me to go with the Buccaneers other than home field and saying that, yes, Baker has been in the playoffs before, and yet the rest of the team is actually really experienced in the playoffs too. Um, but so are the Eagles. The Eagles went all the way to the Super Bowl last year, and that was the entire team plus some additions that they made, although obviously they've retooled and it hasn't gone as well as they'd think or as they wanted it to go. Um, but that's all I have for the NFL. I will move on now to college football with the most important action of the last two weeks, which means just the college football playoff semifinals and finals, of course. Of course, there are many great bowl games leading up to the semis, but we are only going to talk about those two games. Um, and we will start with the Rose Bowl, where number one Michigan defeated number four Alabama 27 to 20 in overtime. Uh, this game was the best game of the bowl season by a pretty large margin, at least for my taste, and in, I, I think, honestly, in terms of how close the game was, there weren't many overtime games um, this bowl season, so I think this one pretty much takes the cake, especially given the stakes as well. Uh, it's a lot of rhyming, but definitely was not the cleanest game by either team, uh, but it was nonetheless extremely entertaining. Michigan got to Jalen Milrow for five sacks in the first half alone and took a 13-10 to lead in the half, although it felt like it should have been and maybe could have been a bigger lead um, for the Wolverines. Neither team scored in the third, but Bama ended the quarter with the ball deep in Michigan territory. Uh, 30 seconds into the fourth, the Tide retook the lead, 17-13 on a Jace McClellan touchdown run, and it felt like Michigan's offense, which, you know, had stalled throughout the third quarter, desperately, desperately needed a response, um, especially felt like that being at the stadium, which, of course, is why I have been sick and lost my voice and couldn't talk for the last week. Well, I could talk, but, you know, the podcast timeline was too thrown off. I wasn't going to re-record it on Friday or something like that. Um, also I was dealing with travel stuff, but today, even though I traveled, I did stay here and do this. But anyway, let me, uh, get back to what's actually important. Offensively, Michigan did not get that response, um, as it was the defense who would force a fumble and that set up Michigan down four points around midfield. Uh, but Michigan was only able to get back in a field goal range and special teams came back to bite the Wolverines again when James Turner missed the 49 yard field goal after previously missing or not missing, but uh, after a botched snap on an extra point off Michigan's second touchdown. Um, Alabama took six minutes off the clock on their next drive, but only managed a field goal, giving Michigan the ball back with four and a half minutes on the clock, although those are some dire straits considering um, how Michigan's offense was executing or the lack thereof um, for that whole really second half and since the middle of the second quarter. But Michigan had the ball nonetheless, only down one possession, um, and fourth and two came up right off the bat. Michigan might have three and outed, but instead of punting, we, even with all three timeouts, Jim Harbaugh made the decision to go for it. Um, got a huge play to Blake Corum on a little swing pass that got some yards taken off because of a penalty, but it actually probably helped Michigan um, because it allowed more of the clock to be taken off. But um, Michigan kept rolling down the field after that for an eight-play, 75-yard game-tying touchdown drive. Uh, Bama's drive stalled after one first down in the game went to overtime. After just two Blake Corum runs, Michigan struck first in overtime and put the pressure on the Tide. Jalen Milrow put the Tide in goal to go distance, but Michigan's defense stood strong. Playing its feet in the ground right at that moment, McClellan was stuffed for no gain and then a loss of five on first down from the 10, um, giving the Tide a third and 14 where they had to go those two downs, get 14 yards to tie the game um, at the very least. And a pass to Jermaine Burton got the ball to the three-yard line, but he was A, injured on the play, and B, it meant that it was still fourth and goal from the three 
after a good tackle in the open field by Josh Wallace. Um, and then on fourth and goal from the three, another bad snap happened by soon-to-be Buckeye, Sean McLaughlin, who had really been much maligned for, honestly, just making bad snaps all year long. Um, I think that's why he transferred, because he knew he wasn't going to be the starter next year, and he's going to try to work on that problem in the offseason and hopefully correct it before he gets to Ohio State. Um, but it threw off the rhythm of the quarterback power, which was the play that Alabama had called, and Josiah Stewart pushed J.C. Latham, who will be a first-round pick, back into Jalen Milrow, uh, and he literally ran into his own lineman's leg and tripped before he could really get any momentum going and hit the hole, and the Wolverines' defense had walked off the Rose Bowl to put Michigan at 14-0. Yes, I will be doing storytelling, basically. I'm not going to actually analyze these games much. Well, I'll analyze the playoff more, but I am going full play-by-play for Washington, Texas as well, which led up to the finals, but if you needed the recap, number two, Washington beat number three, Texas, 37-31. His game featured two really, really explosive offenses um, with uh, heavily praised for being solid defense, but I don't, I thought they might have been both a little rated, but look, there's a reason why they're in the playoff. They're both top three teams, so obviously the defense can't be terrible, but I think people had talked about them, you know, as maybe being a little bit better than they were supposed to be. Um, and Texas's defense was supposed to outplay Washington's, and that's why I think Vegas really had Texas favored, because we all know Washington is a better team offensively, but that was not the case. Um, both teams got out to strong starts, trading touchdown for touchdown on three separate occasions, leading to a 21-21 tie at the half, but look, Washington had already muffed a punt and turned it over on downs at the Texas 14-yard line on a fourth and one, so they truly could have been up by a larger margin um, at halftime. That muff punt led directly to a touchdown, I might add, too, uh, from a short field. So given those mistakes, um, and also given the fact that they allowed Texas to go 72 yards in a minute and 10 seconds to tie the game right before the half, you really thought that Washington could be up more. And then, you know, the question is always, well, if you are the one who made the mistakes, are you going to not make the mistakes and extend your lead or make the lead or get the lead in this case? Or are you going to keep playing the way you've played and, you know, allow the other team to get into the game? Um, and get their feet under them and win it and steal it from you. And, well, it was the first one for Washington. Um, they came out in the fi- in, in the second half on fire by marching 70 yards in eight plays for a touchdown. Then they forced a Texas fumble on the subsequent subsequent possession. Um, that fumble led to a Washington field goal to make it 31-21 for the Huskies. They forced a punt and then cashed in another field goal to push the lead to 13. And just when it looked like the Longhorns were seizing some momentum back, they fumbled on a play that would have put them into the red zone. I think it was a 20-yard pass that was caught. And on the catch and run, Jaden Blue fumbled it. Um, Washington didn't take advantage, however. Um, and Texas eventually got another touchdown to cut the lead to 34-28. to um, The Huskies then ate nearly five minutes off the clock and kicked a field goal to take a 37-28 to lead only 2.40 left, and you're looking at the game situation saying, wow, they're up two possessions, less than three minutes left. How in the world does Texas have a chance? They probably don't. Um, But Texas drove down the field, and they kicked a field goal with 109 left to cut the lead to six. They failed to get the onside kick, and that's when it really felt like it was over um, because Texas only had two timeouts. But with no Texas timeouts left and the game seemingly over, Dylan Johnson had to leave the field with an injury um, after running on third and long. And as a result, Washington used an injury timeout, um, and that meant that they had to punt, and the punt wasn't going to basically take out the rest of the clock. Um, And then they did something even dumber, which is they committed kick-catch interference with 45 seconds left on that punt, which gave the Longhorns 45 seconds to go 69 yards down the field 
to get six points. Um, and Texas completed a 41-yard pass to Jordan Whittington to get to Washington's 28-yard line with 28 seconds left. And they actually really did have a chance to seal this game away from Washington after it felt like there was just no way. Um, but eventually, Texas' drive stalled at the Washington 12-yard line. And on 4th and 11 from the 13 with one second left, Quinn Ewers' pass was set, was swatted away, sealing the victory for Washington and setting up the national championship game between Michigan and Washington. Of course, anybody listening to this probably knows what happened already, um, and it is only the day after, but number one, Michigan beat number two, Washington, 34-13. Michigan dominated this game on the ground and proved everyone wrong who said that the offense needed to involve more passing to get over the hump and win a championship over the last few years. Uh, Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards ran for 100-plus yards and two touchdowns each, something that had only previously been done by Ezekiel Elliott and King Henry himself in a college football playoff championship game. Uh, Washington stepped up in the trenches and overall on defense for about two and a half quarters, but Michigan's two 40-yard TDs by Donovan Edwards and Corum's 59-yard run that set up a field goal in the first quarter had already set the tone, and despite the feeling that, you know, Washington at any point in this game was going to get into a rhythm and really start kick things in a high gear, score a few points, um, the the 17 first quarter points that Michigan scored were actually enough for the entire game. I mean, do the math. They only gave up 13, Um, and actually, really, only the first two touchdowns were needed, but... Michigan forced Michael Penix to keep his throw short and made him uncomfortable enough that he only ended up with just five yards per attempt after he averaged 11.3 yards per attempt in the victory over Texas. So uh, I think we know out of Michigan and Texas who had the best defense at this point, probably in the country, Michigan had the best defense. Um, Maybe in a long period of time, you could check the analytics on that one. I don't exactly want to assert that, but they're definitely up there. Uh, And Michigan had many opportunities to extend their lead um, and failed to cash in on the large majority of those, honestly, to make things more comfortable. But all season long, when Michigan has needed to make a play, it was the defense who came up with stop after stop and turnover after turnover. Uh, Washington started to get momentum back by cutting the lead to seven with the ball coming out of the half. Um, but Will Johnson picked off Michael Penix. And while Michigan only scored a field goal with an extremely short field, um, it did push the game to a two-score margin Um, albeit that was kind of momentary because Washington would get a field goal pretty quickly. Um, And it was a pretty big win when it felt like things were swinging in Washington's favor. Um, But Washington responded with a field goal of their own, made it 20-13 to with nine minutes left in the third quarter, as I said. And then Michigan and Washington alternated punts until nine minutes left uh, in the fourth quarter. Michigan still led 20-13, to but it felt like Washington was going to make their move eventually if Michigan couldn't extend the lead. And really, both teams just kind of stalled. I mean, three punts in a row for both of them. You know, a first down here, a first down there, but that was about it. Um, and Michigan still led 20-13, to 13, but again, it felt like Washington was about to make their move, but then J.J. McCarthy threw a laser over the middle on a first down play action that fans around me were clamoring for for a while, um, and Colson Loveland took it for 41 yards to put Michigan into Washington territory. Um, four plays later, Blake Corum punched in from 12 yards out to give the Wolverines a 14-point lead and the cushion they needed with only seven minutes left in the game. Uh, overall, Michigan held Washington to 2 of 14 on third downs in the whole game, and when it came down to it, after another third down stop by Michigan, Mike Sander still picked off a pass on 4th and 13 in Michigan's red zone and returned it all the way to Washington's 8-yard line to set up Blake Corm for the second touchdown of the game that served as the dagger. Um, in terms of the stats, Michigan outgained Washington on the ground 303 to 46 uh, and 443 to 301 in total yards and route to the Wolverines first championship since 1997. That's 26 years. 
That is Michigan's 12th championship overall. Um, and really, what can you say? I mean, Michigan really took every challenge that was uh, given to them this season and took it in stride and met it, went 15-0, and beat a 14-0 and team, uh, beat the Pac-12 champion, beat the SEC champion, easily the two best conferences outside of the Big Ten this year, probably the two best conferences overall, honestly. Um, but Michigan was there to hold that Big Ten banner in the last year of these normal conferences. And we'll just have to see what happens with things going forward. Obviously, Michigan will actually rematch with Washington um, next year in, uh, I guess that's, I think it's Seattle is what their campus is, what, what city their campus is located in. If it's not, I'm sorry for offending them. But um, yeah, Michigan will go on the road to Washington in a Big Ten game now. Um, and Michigan will actually also play Texas, who obviously not in the Big 12 anymore and didn't play Michigan in the championship game, but they will play Texas in Ann Arbor earlier on in the year, I think the second game of the year. Um, but it's going to be a great season next season. I'm very excited for everything with realignment, so many big matchups every weekend just because of how everything is shaken out. Um, but look, this was a special, special season. Um, in terms of being a college football fan, it is honestly kind of sad that the Pac-12 didn't get to the mountaintop um, during the college football playoff era at all, especially considering um, that this year they really had a good year. It felt like they actually had the most um, teams in, at the top of everything for a little bit, but, you know, it changed by the end of the year. Um, but Washington and Oregon held strong. Washington obviously carried that banner all the way to the championship game, but it was Michigan who came out in the end, um, even though all of the off-the-field stuff that went on throughout the season and technically is still going on. Um, but Michigan overcame it all. They went 15-0, and three straight playoff appearances, finally getting all the way and winning that championship that is so elusive for so many different teams. Um, but now college football season is over, and it's time to turn to the NBA and basketball in general. I will start with the most impressive teams of the last week, which starts with the Cleveland Cavaliers. They went 3-0. They beat San Antonio, and then they beat Washington twice. Yeah, they played a really light schedule this week, I'm not going to lie, but uh, they've needed a week like this for a while. Um, they're now at 21-15 on the season, but that's only good enough to tie with a bunch of other teams for 4th through 8th. Um, those other teams are the Knicks, the Pacers, the Magic, and the Heat all bunched up there at 21-15, and 15, uh, spanning from hosting a playoff series to being on the road or, or to hosting a play-in game, I should say. Um, but look, the Cavs are 7-3 and three in their last 10, so maybe they can start to trend upwards and get out of that play-in bracket territory, but not where the Cavs expected to be. Obviously, with the Donovan Mitchell trade trying to excel, um, or accelerate, excuse me, and boost their rebuild. Um, and they've obviously had two good years, but we will see what they do by the end of the year. Um, then you have the Dallas Mavericks. They also went 3-0. They beat Minnesota, and then they beat Portland twice. Their three wins this week moved them into a three-way tie with Sacramento and New Orleans for the fifth through seventh seed in the West, um, which is, you know, very similar to Cleveland's situation. But look, the Mavs, when they're healthy, are absolutely lethal. Um, and this team can really play above their current place in the standings when they're on their game. And it showed this week with their win over Minnesota. It's just that they need to reach that level on a more consistent basis. Um, then you have the Knicks. They went 3-0 as well. They beat Chicago, Philly, and Washington. Uh, they've been on a roll ever since the OG Ananobi trade. There were some mixed reviews of that deal, but on the court, New York has certainly enjoyed some benefits from OG's presence. Um, this week featured three wins by more than 16 points each, including a 128-92 to win over the Sixers on the road. A very, very impressive result. 
Then you have the Jazz, who went 3-1. and one. They beat Detroit, Philly, and Milwaukee, and they lost to Boston. Don't look now, though, but the Jazz are starting to get competitive again. They ran through the gauntlet of playing the East top three teams in this week alone and came out with just one loss. Um, the two road wins against Philly and Milwaukee are obviously a great sign for Utah. And although they are at 18-20 and 20 on the season, they are just a half game back of the Lakers for the final spot of the play-in bracket as things stand today. Um, then I'll move on to the least impressive teams of the week, which will start with the Suns. Uh, they lost to the Clippers twice and also lost to Memphis, and they beat Miami. Um, look, the Clippers have been on a roll for a while, so that's not a surprising loss. But the second loss was way less competitive than the first one, and they also dropped the game to the Grizzlies over the weekend, which isn't a great sign to accompany those two losses. Uh, overall, I just don't think the Suns can afford weeks like this, given how competitive the West is overall. And they are in need of a big win against the Lakers on Thursday, who are right below them in the standings currently. Um, then you have the Bucks. They lost to Indiana, they lost to Houston, they lost to Utah, and then they beat San Antonio. But look, not only did they manage to lose their fourth game of the season against their weird new rival, Indy, uh, they also managed to barely struggle to get, I think, a three- or a four-point victory against San Antonio, and dropping those games to Houston and Utah isn't great either. Um, a big clash with, I believe, the Celtics is looming on Thursday, but the Bucks just need to get their rhythm back because they just haven't looked like their normal selves for a while now. Uh, then you have the Nets. Look, I'm going to be honest. They're on here just because there aren't many teams to put on here um, because, you know, the Wizards and the Pistons, they always lose every game every week, although the Pistons did get one win, I guess, for the first time in maybe six or seven weeks. Um, but I won't talk too much about the Nets. I'll move on instead to the Sixers, who are only at fourth on this list because they only played three games. Uh, they went one and two, though, and their only win was against Chicago, so... That's not great also after they had already lost them last week, so they don't get a pass for the rough week, even though it was a short one. Um, they lost to, to Utah and New York. Um, so overall, the top two teams, in, top three teams, excuse me, in the East are starting to lose a lot more games than we're accustomed to seeing them lose. Um, but I think, you know, that's par for the course for a long season. They might get on a roll. Maybe one of them kind of drops out of that top three. Who knows? But the Sixers need to rebound and start playing better basketball, obviously, no pun intended. Um, and the loss to the Knicks was delivered with, honestly, an embarrassing margin, so you just never want to see that happen to a top team. But finally, that is all I have for the NBA, and we will turn our attention to college basketball, where we will look at some really important results in early season contests, and these recaps will start to get a lot longer um, as the season goes on and as we can actually talk about resumes, and also because football will be ending soon. And everybody knows that's when I get really insufferable because, well, I just love to talk about college basketball, um, my favorite sport by far. I will start with something that's not my favorite, though. Number nine, Illinois, beat my, I, I guess I can't say alma mater because I'm not a graduate, but the school that I attend, Northwestern, 96 to 66. Um, that was without Terrence Shannon, and honestly, they. it looks like Illinois will be without him for a while, but he did file a TRO against um, the university, and he, there's a chance that he could return um, sooner than people think just because his case would not be over, uh, presumably, until after the season is over, and he is now contesting that legally for that exact reason. Um, I don't have an opinion on that. I'm not a lawyer. Um, I'm in a legal studies class, but I, that does not make me able to, you know, judge on cases. So um, I'm just going to leave that one there. I think if they get Terrence Shannon back, this could be a top five team by the end of the year. Right now, I still think they're top 15. I think people are sleeping on how good this team could be even without Terrence Shannon Jr. Um, but I'll move on to number eight, North Carolina, who beat Pitt 70-57, to a good road win for the Tar Heels. Who continue to add to their resume. Number 14, Duke beat Syracuse 86 to 66. 
Syracuse was kind of making their way onto the bubble, and this win, this loss, I should say, um, by a big margin, kind of took away some of that momentum. They're still a solid team, though, and Duke is obviously a very good team. Then you have the team that probably gained the most from this week. Um, Seton Hall beat number 23 Providence on the road, 61-57. That was a feat that some ranked teams could not do earlier this season, and really many teams haven't been able to do in a while now. So Seton Hall getting a really, really solid win there by beating Providence on the road. Uh, then you have Miami, who beat number 16 Clemson, 95-82. to Miami really needed some good wins, and they finally got one, um, this time winning by 13 against Clemson. Then you have number one, Purdue, who beat number nine, Illinois, 83-78. So overall, uh, an even week for Illinois. One big win over a tournament team, and then one loss on the road to the number one team in the country. I'd say it's actually a positive week for Illinois. Um, but then, once again, you want to talk about positive weeks. Seton Hall beat number seven, Marquette, 78-75. That's a signature win. They're really starting to pile onto a resume. If they can get, you know, two or three wins... In the rest of the season, off of, you know, the Marquettes, UConn, Villanova, Creighton, um, off of that kind of part of the Big East, that high end of the Big East, they are probably going to be a tournament team as long as they don't really have any major slip-ups in the rest of the season. Um, But then you have number eight, North Carolina, who beat number 16, Clemson, 65-55. Gonna admit, I did not think they could get both wins this week on the road, even though I picked them to do that. Um, But North Carolina with a really solid showing and showing why they are the number eight team in the country. I'm really, really impressed with them this season because uh, I honestly wasn't that high on them heading into the year, but I'm starting to see the vision now. Um, and number six, Kentucky beat Florida 87-85. Aaron Bradshaw had a few really great plays towards the end of this game. Uh, just very impressive stuff from Kentucky overall to beat a tough Florida team on the road in their SEC opener. Then you have number two, Kansas, who beat TCU 83-1. to I think this win actually ended up being controversial for some calls at the end of the game. I'm going to be quite honest. I wasn't watching it, so I won't opine on that stuff. But I got to say, the margins that Kansas is winning by is just not what you expect from a top team in the country. Um, It's a reason why I've had Houston above them for a long time in my own personal rankings. Um, And it's a reason why I've continued to do that um, in my bracket as well, even though, you know, a lot of people think that Kansas' resume is better. I just think that Houston is a better team because they win by a lot bigger margins than that. And I don't really care that their schedule is worse they will figure it out in the Big 12. Um, and then you have Creighton. They beat number 23, Providence, 69-60. to 60. Uh, Obviously, Creighton really is a better team than Providence, honestly, overall. But Providence had been playing really well, had the momentum, had some big wins, while Creighton had been kind of going in the opposite direction. But when Creighton is on their game, or even just playing average, they can compete with pretty much anybody. Um, and then you have number 25, Auburn, who beat Arkansas, 83-51. to 51. This is a big win because this is a building that Duke lost in earlier this year. And here you have Auburn walking in and winning by 32. I mean, that's crazy. Um, Auburn is really, really scary. They've been really good all year long. And they're starting to get their respect, I believe. They moved up to maybe 16th or 15th in the AP poll. Um, And then you have Baylor, who beat Oklahoma State 75-70 in overtime. uh, Number 15 team in the country there heading into the week. Um, Interestingly, Baylor actually beat Auburn earlier in the year and maybe the first or second game of the year. So that's kind of their signature win for now, but they'll pick up some more in the Big 12 play. Then you have Southern Miss, who beat number 19, James Madison, 81-71. That was the first loss for JMU. And also, right after that, number 5, Tennessee, beat number 22, Ole Miss, uh, 90-64. That was the first loss for Ole Miss. So we're down to, I think, only Houston as an unbeaten now that, I, now, that I'm, now that I'm actually looking at that. I think Houston is actually the only remaining unbeaten team in the country. Um, so congratulations to Houston for taking that title. We'll see how long they're able to keep that. Um, but 
you know, it, it's possible that they could keep it for a while. They actually don't play a ranked team until January 23rd, even though they run a tough gauntlet of a Big Ten of a Big 12 schedule, excuse me, um, playing Iowa State in literally an hour, um, and then also playing on the road against TCU and then Texas Tech, who's looked good recently. And uh, speaking of Texas Tech, they beat number 20 Texas 78-67. That was a big, well, it wasn't a big upset, but Texas was ranked. Texas Tech was not. But the fact of the matter is, Texas Tech has not lost since the battle for Atlantis. Um, and they have really, really been on fire and have gone way under the radar this season, despite being 12-2. and two. Um, And then, going back to upsets, Charlotte beat number 17 FAU 70-68. to 68. FAU continues their inconsistencies. I think I'm literally just going to leave them in the same spot for the rest of the season and just assume that they won't go up from there or down from there because they'll just take a few dumb losses and just beat up on some other teams in the meanwhile. Um, that's probably the safest bet with them. I don't know if they're really still a top 25 team at this point. That win over Arizona looks good, but Arizona has taken some losses themselves, so you never really know. Uh, Illinois obviously beat them as well, although that was a crazy game, and FIU stayed close in that one. It's hard to rank that team, um, and they also won't play much better competition to make it easier. So we'll see what happens there, but a team that will play better competition, number 11, Oklahoma, who beat Iowa State 71-63. A uh, big win for them, as Iowa State probably is one of the better, maybe three or four teams that they played all year, aside from North Carolina off the top of my head. Um, Utah State beat number 13, Colorado State, 77-72. to Talked about that in my predictions. Uh, then you have Cincinnati, who beat number 12, BYU, 71-60. to um, Cincinnati getting a big win on the road. They have a really weak resume in terms of getting quality wins. They have two okay losses. Um, I think to Dayton, and I can't remember the other one. I think maybe Xavier. But the problem is they really didn't play anybody strong in non-conference, so they need to pick up some big upsets in conference and they started doing that with that road win against BYU then you have number 15 Memphis who beat SMU 62 to 59 on a shot by Javon Quinterly um funny enough they beat they beat Tulsa earlier in the week by three on a shot by Javon Quinterly that's a winning formula I don't think they want to win every game by three points but you know what a win's a win um Memphis has looked really really good all season long and Naquan Tallman has been a great addition to that team as well um when he has played and then you have Northwestern, who beat Michigan State 88-74 um, to avenge their earlier week loss to Illinois and deny Michigan State from probably entering into the AP poll as a bunch of the teams at the bottom of the poll lost. Uh, and this probably would have been their week to jump back in there. But that is all I have now. It was a lot of stuff. Obviously, National Championship weekend, that kind of bodes well for that. Um, but that wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, January 16th, where we will once again look back at my weekend predictions review Super Wild Card Weekend action and have another review of the NBA season and the college basketball season. In the meantime, be sure to check out my additional content, including my predictions for every college football game if you really want to see how well I did um, by the end of the year, which frankly I'm curious about because I don't even know um, at this point. I might go back and look at that. Actually, you know what? I'll look at it right now. Um, I did predict that Georgia would beat Michigan in the national championship game, but I'm happy that it went the other way around. Um, and look, that's still out there if you want to check how accurate I was now that everything's been done. Uh, my NCAA basketball tournament bracket that will be posted tomorrow, and then my picks for next weekend's games that will be posted as always on Thursday. All that on our website, 4 and 24com That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.